What defines us? Do you find or do you build an identity? My wife and I are looking to have kids soon, and as a result, I'm constantly thinking through what goes in to shaping a kid's identity. Today, I'm joined by 24-year-old Noel Kuvos, a master of many hobbies, and we're going to dig into a myriad of what has shaped Noel over the years, from b-ball to b-boy battles, from powerlifting to poetry, and from film to faith. Get excited. Welcome to Millennials with Machetes, the podcast that is guided by one question. How are millennials hacking their way through the thick of life? Hi, Trailblazers. JQ here. I'm your navigation guide slash host. And if you're ready, let's start swinging at these shrubs. To start off, tell us at a high level, who is Noel Kubos? Yeah, Noel Kubos, that's me. I'm a 24-year-old living in Vancouver, BC. I like to think of myself as like an amateur hobbyist. Anyone who knows me knows that I dive deep into a lot of different hobbies. And yeah, I'm just a just a regular guy and I like to explore all of life's adventures. Exploring life's adventures. I, I think I love that. And I love the fact that you are 24 years old. I, I think you're one of the youngest guests we've had on this podcast. And and what struck me originally was the idea that when we first met, you weren't from here. You're, you're originally from Manitoba and then had chosen to move pretty early on to Vancouver as one of like your young adult mm-hmm. decisions. But let's start a few years back. Let's talk to the 12 13-year-old Noel for a second here and kick off with the phrase, ball is life. Uh, tell me about your love of basketball as a kid. Basketball was was my life. And as much as a 13-year-old can imagine, it was everything I ever, I ever wanted. I just wanted to play basketball. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to do chores. You know, and there was a point even earlier where I wasn't interested in girls. I just wanted to play the sport. And that started pretty early. I joined my first league at about seven years old. And that was all fun and games, you know, a league full of seven to 10 year olds. They're not really playing the sport for uh, competitive reasons. But yeah, I got good. And some of the coaches saw potential in me and I won my first championship at nine. That was kind of the, the lighting of that fire. And I eventually went on to play on my school teams and club teams and yeah, by 12, uh, ball definitely was life. Thanks for that. Like when we first talked, I was like, man, this guy was like a provincial level prodigy in basketball. And, you know, things shift as, as hobbies do. To your point earlier about being an amateur hobbyist, what made you shift away from basketball? And then what did you head into? I never really looked at myself as a prodigy or a natural talent. Because I wasn't gifted, I don't have amazing genetics. Even even now, at any point in my life, you could look at me and not think that I'm an athlete in street clothes, you know. And so, in my eighth grade, my team and I won the city division uh, tournament, and we went on to provincials. And so, at this point in my life, I was a starting player on every team that I was on. I was often the captain. Going into high school, my uh, my parents separated, and I really reevaluated where I was with my life. And I realized that, you know, this sport, this game that I've been playing all my life up until that point, 
it was the main thing that brought me and my father close. You know, since since a young age, he always loved being the proud dad of of the best player on the court. Going into high school, really trying to find some form of identity going into a new high school, I I hated the thought of playing basketball from a school where I was such a star athlete going into a new high school where no one knew me. So going into high school, wrestling with identity and and who I was, who I was to my father, who I was in the sport of basketball, mm. I I didn't know if I wanted that anymore. And so I knew that there were some games, a lot of practices where I just wouldn't try. I wasn't hustling as hard as I used to. I wasn't as focused as I used to be. I just didn't want it anymore. The following year, I made the team and you know, I just decided I didn't, I didn't want to go through that again, trying to chase uh, bigger things than just this silly game that my father wanted me to play. I think that came from a lot of um, resentment. I saw that this sport meant a lot to my dad. Mm-hmm. And living with my mom, you know, she kind of checked out anytime I talked about basketball. And so, yeah, in my, um, my junior and senior years of high school, I just... I just didn't want that anymore. I didn't want that responsibility. I didn't want that weight. I didn't want that pressure because I felt like it was gone. And I think that that connection with my father, he was really pushing me. And I realized that it was to be the star athlete was something that he wanted, not what I wanted. And I just wanted him. Yeah. Wow. It's, um, you know, it's interesting as, as I was prepping for this episode, we talked about how this is going to be a conversation about identity and and how it breaks up physically, spiritually, emotionally. And initially, when I was trying to bucket basketball, there was like this piece about how that was like a physical activity that you're focused on on building and how basketball is like something that you do, but that you're known for as well. And yet it was actually so much more than that, because as you were describing it, there was this piece about reacting to the familial relations about how that played into the dynamics of your family right and and there's this emotional maturity piece that you were developing at that time of what does this mean for me what does this mean for my mom what did this mean for my dad at the time right and and for you to then step away from basketball to then look for something else it's it's pretty striking what what did you end up heading into yeah, in the area I grew up in, my middle school was kind of the, it was the middle school that a lot of high schools wanted to acquire students from. We had a lot of highlight athletes, academically strong students, great students in the arts. And so the high schools would often do uh, school tours, which I still, I, I believe they still do to this day. I went to my high school's school tour and uh, it's cheesy to say out loud, but they, they basically, it felt like high school musical. We walked in the Zach door. Zach just singing the, at you at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we had um, the school's dance team. They would do like a dance circle in like the lobby or the front area of the school. And that's kind of how we were welcomed. And then they sat us in the auditorium. And then the dance team did their like a, a bigger performance, like a more choreographed performance. And I just thought, you know, like I've seen like America's Best Dance Crew and like all these shows on TV, like I've seen. But to see these kids, these teenagers who are just a little older than me, doing the same things, I thought that was really cool. You know, a part of me really wanted to get into that. You know, growing up watching movies like 
like you got served and uh that other one like honey um Mm -hmm. like that those those movies made dancing seems so cool to me growing up but at this age like i was i was a pretty stereotypical jock and so you know like dancing was lame and singing was lame and arts were lame and so i uh, i didn't think too too much of it until um yeah until the first month of that school year they were holding auditions and uh, i noticed that some of the uh some of the sports guys some of the other jocks were were going and i thought you know i'll just you know pretend to be the cool guy going to this audition so i auditioned and i made the team yeah i thought it was going to be you know i thought it was going to be you got served but like school edition <laughs> <laughs> and turns out it was uh classical training we learned a lot of jazz steps classical and contemporary and we learned some ballet stuff and i was just torn because i was i was thinking like dude i'm a, i'm a bro like i'm a i'm a jock I'm, i play basketball and i play sports i don't you know i don't wear these ballet shoes and i don't spin on my toes i i thought we were i thought we were gonna you know get buck and i thought we were gonna do uh do some windmills and some break dancing but yeah there's just a lot of layers that came to dancing yeah from star basketball athlete i <laughs> turned to ballerina and eventually eventually turned break dancer yeah and it was interesting because as i was thinking about identity it was there's this piece about what are the events that shape us and to your point about movies and tv shows and then also even just the fact that your school was hosting performance if you will that in itself was an opportunity that lended you you to just you could have just watched it and been like all right that was pretty cool and moved on with your life but the fact that you auditioned then down the road after that it was great that you had other sports team members who were going to that audition but um that choice to to then be like oh you know what i'll i'm too cool for this but i will put up my hand for this and and try it Mm -hmm. that sticks out to me and then there's also this piece about that i think is not only in your basketball background but then moves forward as well is this competitive nature that you have yeah because when you talk about breakdancing i asked you about your proudest accomplishments the last time we were chatting and you're like man Saskatoon two on two type tournament style. There was this a competition called Game Theory Two, mm-hmm. yeah. where where you'd place top sixteen out of thirty two, and, and this is like a your traditional breakdancing battle style. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. There is a good chunk between uh, stepping into the high school audition and Game Theory Two. That's a that's a big chapter. My desire for competition was always there and. You know, even in hindsight, is still here to this day, and I think that's what keeps keeps pushing me into new hobbies. The high school dance team, for anyone local in Winnipeg listening, Techbox High School's dance team, uh, DTC, they're one of the, if not the biggest, high school dance legacies in the city. At the time, they were being led by uh, my dance instructor Sophia Constantini, and she she is a legend when it comes to dance. You know, she was based in Winnipeg, but there are even dancers here in Vancouver, Toronto, and even dance studios across the states that will know her name and will be shocked when I when I tell them how close I was with her. Just to take a minute to talk about her, she was yeah, she was just uh, she was my high school mom. Like I mentioned, I was going through a rough time emotionally and mentally, and so I had the decision of going down the dark route as a teenager. You know, I hated basketball, but I was a jock. And so that kind of makes me like a rebellious 
teen who would roll with like the wrong crowd. But because I was dancing with her, she saw that. She knew what a kid looked like who was coming from a broken home. She saw that flame dwindling and um, she, she didn't let me go. In the beginning, she was such a hard ass on me. I felt like she never let me, you know, even skip class. She wouldn't let me hang out with the wrong people. And there are times where after our dance practice, she would just really dig in and ask what I was doing after practice. And I, I always thought it was so annoying. Like I thought it was like she was, she was being a mom, you know, mm-hmm. but no, it's cause she knew, she knew that I was spending some time with, with the wrong kids. She was always looking out for me. She too was a, was a competitor and she hated losing. She's such a sore loser. Every part of the school year, there was always a competition. The reason why we started with a lot of classical and contemporary stuff was because it teaches a dancer a lot about their body uh, in ways that most people don't think about. So starting the school year in September with contemporary, we work on a piece for Remembrance Day. As a dancer, working on that type of dance piece is is threefold. Uh, I think one being learning about your body. As a new dancer, that's really important. And two, it really teaches you how to find your emotion. And you know, for a lot of people, uh, Remembrance Day is a very tough time for a lot of people. And it's very somber. And there's a lot to think about. And so by digging into those emotions, she teaches us how to handle that and how to process through that with movement and with art. And the third fold is is just performing. Like I said, I thought I was the coolest kid in the school. Even then, the third fold was performing. I knew I was a cool kid, but I couldn't stand in front of the entire school do something that I just learned and so after December and into the new year that's when we get into like the fun stuff the hip-hop stuff the stuff that I was expecting the the dance style that I saw at the school tour and so now that we have an understanding of our body we have we know how to dig into our emotions we know how to perform we know how to work as a team and mind you these dance teams are you know 25 30 kids um, mm-hmm. some of which are dancing for the first time ever. Yeah, that was kind of that chapter and developing that same type of style over the years. Uh, I eventually built confidence in myself as a dancer. I, I really, I really appreciate that you stopped me in so many ways because there's a lot to unpack here. I think it fascinates me that one key aspect that we hadn't kind of landed on before this call, but it's uh, it's mentorship and and how you know your instructor was looking out for you helped you develop and and was relentless in that. And then, you know, me being very like results focused, I'm like, yo, let's talk about your wins. I love the Mm -hmm. fact that you paused and you pulled me back and you said, hey, wait, hold on. Why didn't just jump and start winning right away? There's this piece about developing. And it's interesting because as you're in high school doing this, again, you know, dance is something that you might think of as a physical outlet. But to your credit, here you are talking about, well, no, no, it, it's so much more than that. There's, yes, of course, the physical aspect of understanding your body, but then the emotional piece of how, how you find emotion in your outlet as you're pursuing creative passions. And then the growth, right? Because it's not something that's a one-off like, oh, I'm an amazing b-boy now. In fact, it's something that you had to build up slowly by getting exposed to even all the other different types of dance from urban to jazz to contemporary to ballet, right? And so that's dope. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, being one of the younger students on the team, I got to see the older kids who would break dance and they would try cool moves 
like during water breaks or after practice or before practice or during the lunch hour. You know, I I saw kids in middle school doing those things and now seeing older kids doing them, it kind of affirmed how cool breakdancing really was. And it was so naive to think, but I thought, you know, now I understand my body because of dancing contemporary. I think I can break dance. And so I would learn the foundational things. And like I mentioned with basketball, as a dancer, as a break dancer, I was not a natural. I wasn't gifted, you know, catch on right away. And so I built like my foundation very, very, very slowly. For any of my break dancers, you know, it took me a really long time to learn a six step or, you know, just like a simple baby mm-hmm. freeze. Yeah. And I think eventually it it, it wasn't my my talent with breakdancing. It was my 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 character and just my passion that really showed through my movements. And Jay, like you were saying, it was the development that Miss Sophia had on me that that helped my breakdancing development as a b-boy. I understood that I didn't need all the flashing moves as long as, you know, I can show my heart through my movements. And I think that's eventually what brought me to some success, I would say, as a as a b-boy. Mm-hmm. If I if I can shift us along there, so when you talk about your success as a b-boy, you ended up teaching in Ontario, so out of province, and you took a road trip to do that. You find yourself at that stage, you know, of BYOB, right? Bring your own beat. It was a hip hop competition you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about like maybe what it was like, not even like getting there, being in Toronto, Ontario. You know, being out of province or maybe, I don't know if it was the first time or whether you had been out of province at that point, but um, you're in Eaton Center at the food court. Tell me about that moment and what you were thinking at that point. You know, I'm probably dozens of dance competitions in, dozens of b-boy battles and a handful of traveling events. And so my first time in Toronto, I was with my dance crew at the time, Boss Crew, and I was with some of my crewmates just in um, Eaton Center at the mall taking it all in and seeing how busy the mall was in this new city and comparative to Winnipeg you know we were all kind of feeling that same starstruck moment the five of us kind of talked about what we want from dance and what we want to establish how we want to establish ourselves and that moment I realized that although I loved dance and even still, I love dancing so much. I realized I wanted more. Dance can pull all these experiences into my life. What kind of experiences can I have if I pursue those experiences on my own and not through an outlet like dance? And so I guess totally from left field, around that time, I have a friend um, and he was opening a music studio in Winnipeg. And he is a producer. He's a hip-hop, R&B, kind of modern producer. And he just loved making beats. He loved making music. But he struggled with writing. And he understood that I was slowly getting into spoken word poetry. Again, us being super naive at like 19, 20 years old. We thought that that would translate into music. And so he invited me to come in and I would try to the best of my ability to write lyrics for him. That point, as I was in Toronto with my dance crew, he called me actually while we were at the mall. And he asked me, if I moved to Vancouver to pursue music, would you move with me? 
That's quite the proposition. Yeah. And at this point, mind you, I'm 19 years old. I have probably 200 bucks in my bank account living in my mom's basement with a minimum wage part-time job. And I told him, I don't know how, but I think I have to go with you. <laughs> and that's kind of, I mean, obviously, like me as a, me as a writer, I probably said something less profound and you know less intense. But along those lines, I, uh, I was very set on going. I had no doubt in my heart that that was what, that was where I needed to be. That was the chapter that was next. Yeah, four months later of working as much as I could at the local Foot Locker, I uh, saved as much money as I could. We closed down that music studio, somehow talked other uh, music artist friends into moving with us, and we took that leap of faith, moved across the country, and we planted our seeds here in Vancouver. Tell me about the choice, you know, um, when I think about what forms us, looking back at my dumb actions during high school and, and even out after that, there's there's always like this scenario or event that happens and uh, an opportunity to decide, right? Uh, do, I, do I go for it or do I not? Some of my best memories are from just going for it and like totally messing up along the way. But then other times it also works out really well. You said that you, you just knew that you had to go. What, where did that come from? You know, there are experiences in our teenage years that we look back on and, you know, we just think to ourselves, why in the hell did I decide to do that? And on the opposite side, there are the decisions that we look back on and realize that, man, like I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that single decision. And I think it's like the cliche in a movie or in a book where the main character is contemplating. A boy's contemplating on on kissing the girl or confessing his feelings, and he just doesn't. And then you think to yourself, man, like you should have done it. Should have just done it. She feels the same way about you, and now you'll never know. I think making that move and it just felt so right. Me moving to Vancouver was me telling the figurative female that I have feelings for her. And I just knew that the adventure, the adventure that I was on in Toronto, and maybe it was just going off of that steam and that momentum of being in a different city and being in that hustle and bustle. I just knew that, you know, I like this. I can handle this. And I can see myself in this. And that opportunity quite literally landed on my lap. That was my window to, to that adventure. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just knew that I had too much support from my family. And I knew that I wasn't going to be alone moving with, with my friends. I just knew that I wasn't going to, to fail. And around this time, I was um, really new to my faith. And this is kind of the first point in my journey that I guess my belief in God had really contributed to, you know, the way I looked at a situation. What do you mean by that? I just thought, you know, there are too many pieces that are just falling into place for this mm-hmm. not to be God moving in my life. 
and pushing me along this path. There are a lot of people that can hear that and think, you know, it's just a coincidence or I was a naive teenager who wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. But I also was scared of change. I wasn't ready, financially speaking at least, I wasn't ready to to move out of my mom's house. But there was a peace and a there was just a peace and comfort that I felt that made me feel like this was that it was time. It was time to to create my own adventure. Yeah, there's this piece about um taking ownership, right? And and driving the narrative forward in whatever that is. And it's exciting because there's a lot of unknowns uh, within that too. Uh, so Noel, you moved to Vancouver in 2016 with like 200 bucks to your point in your bank account. But you had mentioned a little bit before that about how you were into poetry and slam poetry. And, and you're probably about a year in at that point. How did poetry start in your life? And how, how did that pop up? Mm-hmm. And I guess because that's a different creative outlet that I think uh, is another portion of, of your identity, particularly as you headed into Vancouver, you know, this is something like new that you were experiencing, right? And so how did those two things uh, tie in together? Yeah. Yeah, poetry was one of those things that was kind of just a piece of background noise. My brother was really into spoken word poetry, and I eventually just kind of caught on and realized how much I appreciated it as well. He got me into a couple marquee poetry names, and I just found myself immersed in consuming the content. And I realized hearing different pieces and different stories, you know, there are some stories that really resonated with me. And I would think to myself, man, like this piece is exactly my life. Just, you know, this portion was a little bit different. Or, man, I understood what they were going through with this story because I kind of went through a similar story with this part of my life. And I realized that I just wanted to be able to tell my own story. And I think that might have even been birthed through dance Mm. and just being able to express myself. So there were a lot of points in my life where, you know, not knowing how to deal with change and trauma, I just kind of packed it all down. And there was a lot to dig into uh, within myself. And so writing poetry began that process and became an outlet where I can just express what I've been through. And not to anyone in particular. I was just writing in my notes app on my phone and in a journal that I kept hidden in my bedroom. But it was a place where I can be vulnerable uh, in a way that I've never been in my whole life up until that point. Mm-hmm. Around that time, back in back when you were getting into poetry, when, when we were talking previously, you mentioned that you were about 280 pounds at that time. And, and you had brought up a poem uh by jonathan salazar who's who's a slam poet and and i looked it up and it was interesting because this poem was done in 2014 and it's called fat as i was watching it live uh it it was interesting because you know fat is on is on weight right and here the first line really is i hate the people that remind me of my own obesity as if i didn't already have enough on my plate And, and that hit me because I think it it was just sur- not surprising, but, but you talked about how it resonated with you. And then interestingly enough, like you then became a power lifter down the road as well. And so it's interesting how power lifting poetry and then your identity of maybe 
resonating with feeling fat at that point to then a few years later cutting down to like 200 pounds you you also said too right so walk walk me through that dynamic of identity poetry powerlifting am i am i asking for too much <laughs> no i i i completely get it and actually to to further that point i guess the way to tie this all uh together and put a pretty little ribbon on top is when speaking to identity you know we've established that i came to the understanding that basketball was not fully my identity it was a mask that i put on to seek approval from my dad and to you know thrive in front of my peers and teammates and community that wasn't my true identity and dance kind of plays a part because that's where i learned how to express myself but then as any teenager would come to realization that they don't know who they are and that's kind of where poetry kicked in I would hear these stories from other poets and other storytellers and I realized you know I have a story and I don't know what that is yet mm. and so unpacking my my work realizing that you know I do have trauma whether I gave it that label or not I do have a lot of burdens in my life and I know it sounds super dramatic as a as a teenager and as a young adult but there are there are battles that we all go through and i think unpacking that kind of showed me who i was and what i've been through and to be okay with that because i'm not the only one mm. and so yeah i just learned these different parts about me and that piece specifically that john salazar uh had come out with there's a lot of pieces um in that puzzle that you know, showed me that there are a lot of things that people are going to see and assume about you that you don't see about yourself. And so there are assumptions that are obviously, obviously wrong. And there are other assumptions that are over the top and not completely true. And I think that's where powerlifting is kind of the fourth piece to that, to that progression is that was the point where I realized that I could change and improve who I was. And so from basketball teaching me that I am my own protagonist, that I am my own story, and dance teaching me how to tell my own story, poetry telling me what my own story is, and mm. powerlifting is, even to this point, teaching me things that I can change my own destiny. And the, I mean, the roller coaster of, of being overweight personally, it, it kind of started when I stopped playing sports and I got out of school, I got out of high school and, you know, I was just going to work and dancing a little bit, but I wasn't nearly as active as I was in my teenage years. Um, and obviously as, as I grew a little bit older, metabolism, you know, I didn't have the puberty metabolism like I, like I once <laughs> did. And so, yeah, I put on a lot of weight. Um, being a naturally bigger guy, I was always kind of hovering anywhere between 200 to 220 pounds and I think I masked that well as an athlete just being a stockier athlete yeah I ballooned up and at my worst I always round up but I remember seeing the scale at 278 pounds and just realizing like that number's not me like I'm not yeah. I'm not 280 pounds like I'm an athlete you know and that's my ego speaking but I never wanted to accept that number and so me and my childhood best friend, uh, Brendan, we got into powerlifting. 
not knowing anything about it. We just knew that there was a squat, a bench press, and a deadlift. Three exercises. And we thought to ourselves, you know, that's easy enough. Let's get into that. And we started that in Winnipeg. Did it as a hobby at our commercial gym. I started building muscle and I started cutting down weight. And I realized, yeah, I can transform myself. And through the transition of moving to Vancouver, I joined a very special gym. It's called Jungle Gym in Richmond. Yeah, one of the members just saw me lifting and, you know, he he recognized that, you know, I had I had some good weight. I was moving some good numbers and he asked me if I ever competed. And I told him no. Never thought about it. Never will. Because I'm not again, I'm not a genetic freak. I'm not built for this. You're not and Arnold Schwarzenegger. You just reassured yeah, exactly. Like I'm not carved from stone. Um, <laughs> but looking around at that gym, those were just a group of guys that, you know, were just hardworking. And they, they too, um, although some, <laughs> some are genetic freaks and some are incredibly strong at, at a really high level, but for the most part, just a really hardworking group of guys and gals. Yeah, I just jumped into a competition prep and I got into my first powerlifting competition uh, in December of 2018. And so that weight class that I competed at was 205 pounds. Just saying where I was, what I looked like, who I was, how I felt at 280 pounds, and seeing the person that I've become at 205 pounds uh, here in Vancouver. And here in Vancouver, actually, um, was the first time I've reached under 200 pounds in uh, since I was like 16. Mm. Dude, this is so good. Because I, I feel like there, there, there are all these definitions of who we are, right? To your point about like maybe being labeled as fat at that point or, or back in 2016, 2015. And then, and then there's this one thing that I think is consistent throughout your story is, is this idea of redefining yourself. And when you're doing it, it's yeah. it's always been for yourself, right? It's not for anyone else. To your point about doing poetry and, and writing your own journals and, and doing it on your phone to to maybe even just capture thoughts and then so that you can move on from them, right? There's that piece of doing it for yourself. But then naturally, I love the fact that you do compete in basically everything you've been involved in. And we haven't even talked about, you know, how, how you competed in poetry and and also one mm -hmm. but but mm -hmm. but i think it's like this cool thing where you start with your core which is you and then as you focus right. on that it just naturally gets you to a point where you do and can compete to level yourself up and and i think that's been really really inspiring for me especially as three weeks ago i got back into the gym for the first time in god knows how long because I'm, I've always been like a runner, you know. I've always been like a long distance yeah. runner, and now I'm like, oh, what would it look like if I lifted weights for five days <laughs> a week for twenty weeks? What would the outcome be? So I'm on that that piece of redefining myself right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Any any final thoughts before we uh, before we wrap up? Yeah. Like we mentioned, I I am one of the younger guests that you've had on the show, and so I've I've always been a big. Uh, a big believer in not telling people what to do also. But um, if you find yourself on a journey similar to this, just be honest with yourself. And I think um, one piece that 
we we kind of sprinkled here and there was um, my faith throughout this journey. Um, and I think the difference, if we're looking at my powerlifting chapter and my poetry chapter and how those were different from my basketball and dance chapter, on top of being an adult, <laughs> being a little bit older and a little bit more mature, I also had my faith grounding me, my Christian beliefs. And that just it kept me honest. You know, poetry in itself is very vulnerable, very open, very honest. It's taking your heart, pounding it down, ironing it, ironing out all the all the wrinkles and just putting it out there. A lot of my pieces haven't seen the light of day, but a lot have. A lot have made it to the stage. And so those are parts of me that, you know, strangers are are getting to know. And that's a big, scary thing. Um, mm-hmm. And even with powerlifting, anyone who competes knows, even from the blatant honesty of getting down in your underwear and weighing in in front of a, an official, or on a day when you're in an empty gym and the weight is a little heavier than you would want it to be, you have to be honest with yourself. And I think anyone listening to this, one takeaway is you can be 24 in the exact same shoes as me, still trying to find the next adventure or a new way to redefine yourself. You can be 16, not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like. You can be 60 and hear this and just think about, you know, who you are and where you're at. And I think even reflecting on my own journey, there have been times where I wasn't honest to myself and, you know, things probably would have been a lot easier and things could have come a lot quicker if I was just honest to myself. I think that goes with anything, with the things that you are currently doing or the things that you want to do. Just be honest with yourself and just do it. If there's, like I mentioned before, if there's a girl or a guy that you want to confess your feelings to, just be honest. Or if you want to do something, if you want to get into photography, if you want to get into painting, if you want to adopt a cat, just be honest with yourself and and just know that you are not you are not who other people think you are. You are not what your past defines you to be. Just know that you, who you are today, is not who you have to be tomorrow. Mic drop. Mic drop indeed. I hope y'all like that. In my first conversation with Noel, he brought up one of his favorite quotes from poet Rudy Francisco. And so I'm gonna leave you with this. I sat in an empty room and realized that it was full. Then I realized that I am more than enough. Until next time, keep swinging at those shrubs. JQ, out.